are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So there have been times in my life when I have prayed for a person, and I've prayed things like, God, would you come beside that person or send somebody to do that? Or maybe I've been praying because I felt like the person needed a friend or support, or maybe even resources, something like that. And there's been times when I prayed about a situation, and I said, God, can you help with this situation? Or sometimes there's been times when I prayed about a real need that I was aware of, and God, could you do something about this need? And sometimes when I've prayed like that, I felt like God was saying to me, hey, Rick, why don't you do something? I never felt like God was really aggravated with me. I just felt like he was kind of just nudging me. Saying, I know you're concerned, but I think there's some things that you could do. And it's kind of where we find the disciples today in the story, in the scripture that we're going to share together. They come to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, there's a real need. Could you do something? And Jesus says, well, I was thinking maybe you guys could do something. Well, we weren't thinking like this, Jesus. We were thinking maybe you would do it. And Jesus says, well, I think maybe... I would use you, and you guys could do something to help with this. And so here's what I'm kind of learning as I grow older in my life, and I am growing older. When I look in the mirror, i like, who is that guy in the mirror looking back at me? I'm learning that Jesus can use whatever I'm willing to bring to him. Now, that's a mouthful because i got to be willing, right? But I've learned that whatever I'm willing to bring to Jesus, He uses it. And here's what blows me away, is that Jesus uses it in ways that are far more abundantly beyond what I would have ever asked or thought He could have done with it. I bring this little bit to Jesus that I have. I never feel like I have enough, right? But I bring it to Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to give this to you. And Jesus does far more with it than I ever thought He would do. And so that's the story we're in this morning. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, okay? I'm going to start reading with verse 13, a story that you may have heard before about Jesus feeding lots of people with a little bit of food, okay? So here we go. Matthew chapter 14, going to start with verse 13. So when Jesus heard what had happened, and there's probably two things that are happening. One is he has heard about Herod who is kind of, running wild right now. He's reacting to Jesus' ministry, but he's also had John the Baptist executed. So John was a good friend of Jesus, very close, right? A cousin to Jesus, the forerunner to Jesus. And so Herod is going nuts right now. He's doing crazy things. And so when he heard about what happened, Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. You can relate, right? Somebody that you love dies... What do you say to your friends? I think I just need to be alone for a little while. And that's what Jesus was doing. Can we just get away? But hearing this, that Jesus was going somewhere, the crowds followed him on foot. So Jesus is in a boat. He's crossing the Sea of Galilee. Everybody takes off on foot, running around to try to get to where he's going to be. In fact, they came from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. There was already... He's so popular. He can heal people. People are crazy about him. 
It's amazing what he's doing. They've never seen anything like this guy in all their lives. And so news travels fast and people are running in big crowds to be with him, okay? So what do you think Jesus does? He's hurting. He's grieving. He's mourning. And the disciples are probably saying, hey man, you're hurting. We're all hurting. Things are kind of crazy right now. Maybe we should just go to another quiet place since there's a crowd here. But Jesus says, no, it's okay. If they're hurting like I'm hurting, they need someone to help them. And so, he had compassion on them, and he heals their sick. So you kind of get the picture. They travel half the day, and then they spend the rest of the day healing people, and now evening is going to come. I think we're on the next slide. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, Jesus. It's getting late. There are thousands of people there. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus responded, well, I don't, I don't think they need to go away. I, I can imagine the disciples saying, well, what do you mean they don't need to go away? And Jesus says, why don't you just give them something to eat? Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. We, we don't have enough. For all these many people. And so Jesus says, bring them to me. And he directed the people to sit on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate. And they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basket fulls of broken pieces that were just left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So how many was it? 10,000? Was it 15,000? It was a lot of people. So this is God's Word for us today, and this is also Family Worship Sunday, so there's lots of kids in the room. And so I was wondering if we could have all the kids jump up from where you are and come running up here and join me on the platform. Would you do it? And as they're coming, I want you to let the kids know how much you love them and support them. So give them a big hand. Come running fast. Jump up here. You can sit down all around me. You feel a lot of love right now. Yeah, I'm glad. So you guys have been memorizing a verse, and it's the verse that we've been talking about for weeks here. Look at them all come. My goodness. From way back there. Keep coming. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Can you kind of space me and see me around here? Can you do that? Okay. Everybody kind of get to where you can see me. You can come up here on the top if you want to. It's okay if you want to come on up this way. You can jump up there. There you go. So you've been learning this verse. So does everybody know the verse? You do? Okay. It starts with the words now to him, right? And you know the rest of it? So you got to say it really loud so all of your family can hear you say it. You ready? Now.
I'm just going to tell you, that was impressive. I loved it. And I love the way you said it with energy. Do you believe it? You do? So, you heard me tell this story just a minute ago in the Scripture about Jesus and all of these people who are hungry. Thousands of people. Look out there. Do you think there are thousands of people out there this morning? You think so? Maybe not thousands, okay? But there's a lot of people out there. So, what if everybody out there was hungry right now? And the truth is, it's really 1 o'clock in the afternoon and everybody out there is hungry right now. That's the truth, right? Because of the time change. What if everybody out there right now wanted a donut? And we knew that that lady right there on the front row, see her? She's got a donut in her purse. Could we take that one donut and feed all of these hundreds of people? No! Not enough donuts, right? But do you know what happened with Jesus? There were thousands of people, maybe 10,000 people total. They were all hungry. Jesus has a few pieces of bread, a couple of fish. You like bread? You like fish? And he begins to break the bread, and he begins to feed lots of people, and finally all the people ate, and guess what? There was food left over. How much? Twelve baskets full is right, and 5,000 is incorrect. Yes. Okay. So, the verse you just said to me was that he's able, right? To do far more, abundantly beyond, all you could ask, or even imagine, dream up in your mind. And that's what he did that day. And you may say, I don't have a lot to bring to Jesus. I'm just a little kid. I don't have a lot of money. I haven't learned as much as I'm going to learn someday. But if you listen really close to the rest of the sermon, what you're going to do, right? Right? Really close to the rest of the sermon? You're going to learn that whatever you bring to Jesus, He can use that. And He can make it more than enough. So jump up quick, run back to your families, and they're all going to celebrate you one more time, okay? Go, go. It's been a long day. They've traveled part of the day. And then Jesus has the disciples managing people. Can you imagine what that was like? Crowds of thousands coming. Many people wanting to be healed. Everybody wanting to make sure their friend got healed. Everybody's trying to jump to the front of the line. They're pushing. They're shoving. Disciples are doing crowd control. They're sweating. It's a hot day. People are hungry. Now the night is falling and there's still more people to be healed. And finally the disciples have an idea. Why don't we ask Jesus to send the people back to the towns and villages so they can get something to eat? Now, here's the thing. I don't know their hearts, right? Right? I don't know what they were really thinking. Were they thinking, we've traveled half the day, we've managed this crowd the other half the day, I haven't had anything to eat since early this morning, I'm going to see if I can talk Jesus into sending the crowds away so we can go get something to eat. I don't know what they were thinking. But Jesus challenges them. Why don't you give them something to eat? There's only one thing in life that's better than having your prayers answered. Do you know what that is? It's becoming the answer to somebody else's prayer. I'm telling you. When you get a taste of this, there is nothing better than the world. 
There's only one thing better in life than getting your own prayers answered, and that's becoming the answer to somebody else's prayers. When you start to experience this, you become addicted. And your life becomes a lot less about you and a lot more about other people and their needs. Because when you see God working through you and using you to be the answer to somebody else's prayers, you're like, I want some more of that. I'm going to be okay. Let's focus on this other person for a while. But I think we all understand what the disciples are feeling. We understand what's going on because we've had the same conversation with Jesus ourselves. Jesus, there's a need. I know. Can you do something? And Jesus says, well, I was thinking maybe you might do something. And here's what we come back with. But I don't have enough. I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough talents. I don't have enough abilities. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. And here's what we always, always do. Now, you've got to lean in, okay? We always begin to look at the size of the need, and we compare it with the size of our resources. Whoa, the need is huge. And, and I'm only this much, right? And so what, what difference is it really going to make if I contribute? Will anybody ever know? Will I make a dent in it? Because the need is like this big and I've got this much to give. And so why would I even get involved? Because the need is so massive. Nobody will ever know I even tried maybe. And that's where the disciples are. You've got thousands of people, man. And we got a little bit of food. It's not going to matter. And so sometimes we don't bring what we have to Jesus because we don't think what we have is enough. It's really common. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. it, it it's not going to make a difference anyway. It's just not enough to make a dent in the situation. When my dad was 46 years old, he died a couple of years ago at 82. When he was 46, I was a junior in high school, and my dad got this desire to do some really crazy stuff. I think maybe it was a midlife crisis, I don't know. But he bought a hang glider and decided that it would be fun to learn how to hang glide at 46. Now, now my dad met these other guys that lived in our little town, and they were young, and they were all getting into that. But... They would sometimes use substances to prepare them for the jump, if you know what I mean. I would say to my dad, Dad, you're the only one here of sound mind. I promise you, everybody else is a little bit high right now. You're the only one that's normal walking around here. But I brought a picture because I thought it might help you. And this is kind of what my dad and I looked like when we first started to try to learn how to hang glide. You see the wheels on it? That's when you hit the ground. You're going to be okay. But this is a hill, and this guy has started running. So there's a control bar. You can see it's a triangle, and you have put your hand on the bottom of the bar and your other hand on the side. You've got a harness, okay, and you're snapped in up above. And what you do is you grab your kite, you get it balanced, and you start running. And you run as fast as you can. And as you start running down this hill, this is how you learn on a beginner's kite, you learn on a hill. This guy's running down a hill. As soon as you start running down that hill and you got the wind coming at you and you feel there's a bit of a lift, at some point you have to commit. That means you have to basically put your hand on this bar and you throw your body at the ground and you stretch out. And you hope to heaven that that kite will pick you up and carry you. 
Now, when you're learning to hang glide, like my dad and I were, you would, you would take off and maybe you would get, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot. Seven to 15 second flights is what we would get because there's a bottom of the hill down there. We're going down a small hill, okay? So maybe seven to 15 seconds of nothing in your ears, but shh, it was awesome. And so I remember the day that my dad and I went to another location. We go to a bluff, a cliff, with all of these guys. And so I watched this guy snap in. He gets his kite. He gets ready. He takes off running. He gets to the edge of the bluff. Now, I mean a bluff many hundreds of feet down. This is a, you're not going to live if you just jump off the bluff. It's a bluff, okay? When he gets to the edge, he leaps. And he goes sailing out over the pasture. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen just firsthand. A couple other guys jump. It's kind of fun watching. Because this is the goal right here, the next slide. You want the rights of a bird. You want to fly up among the eagles. You want to soar and catch an updraft and go again. I mean, it's, it's awesome. My dad finally looks at me and says, I think I'm going to do it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. He snaps in, he gets his kite ready, he takes off front and he gets to the edge and he just goes. And there goes my dad and he soars down to the right over the pasture. I watched him get to the bottom, he stalls out his kite and he just lands softly. Get in the truck, go down to pick him up. He's like, that is like the best thing I've ever done in my life right there. So we're driving back up, he says, you want to do it? And I said, I don't think so. I think I'm good, but thanks for offering. We get up to the top of the bluff, and he says, you sure? And I said, absolutely positive. You say, Rick, do you regret not jumping? Um, that time, no. Uh, there's a lot more to this story. Two other times I drove the truck down, picked up my dad, and took him directly to the emergency room. A lot of fatalities with hang gliding. The reason I don't think I could have, should have jumped is because I don't think Dad or me were prepared. We had not had enough instruction. But can I tell you that there's been many other times in my life when I think I should have jumped, and I didn't. What I'm trying to tell you is I've got some regrets. There were times when I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Rick, take a leap of faith. And I stayed at the edge of the bluff. I looked over and I just said, I don't think I'm ready to do that. And right now at 58 years of age, I still wonder what would have happened back there if I would have jumped. What God would have done in me and through me. And so the other day I was talking to my friend Lewis. And I said to him, after I told him the story about my dad, Lewis, there's been a lot of times in my life that I should have jumped and I didn't. But with the sanctuary renewal coming up, I'm not going to make that mistake. When it's finally time for me and Annette to sit down and write a number down of how much we're going to give to this thing, we're going to leap. We're going to write down a number that we don't know how we're going to pay it. 
This time, I'm sure, God is calling me to jump. And I'm going to walk up to the edge of the bluff and I'm going to leap. And if He doesn't catch me, I'm going to splatter. Because this is a faith move. Do you understand that when those disciples looked at Jesus and said, All we have, a few loaves, a couple of fish. Do you understand what happened there? Jesus said, Well, bring it to me. And for many of us, that is a real leap of faith. Because what we learn in Mark and Luke and John is that they got that fruit from a kid anyway. It wasn't even theirs, right? And so it's either his dinner or he's giving it to them and it's their dinner. One way or the other, somebody's going without dinner. You want me to give you this little bit that we have? This is all I have. And Jesus says, give it to me. And there's many times it's just a leap of faith. Many times God calls you and God calls me, bring it to me. And we're like, it's, I, it, I don't have much. If I give it to you, I don't have any. And Jesus just says, bring it to me. So, last summer when I was in Israel, are you getting tired of me saying that? I bet you are, right? I, I'm sorry, but every time I open the Bible, I think Israel. I mean, every place I read about, everything I see, it's Israel. Even reading this passage, it was all about my memories of Israel. Because for the ten days I was there, I got up every morning, and you know what was at the breakfast buffet? Every morning for ten days in Israel. Different buffets, different locations, same food on the buffet every morning without fail. Let me just give you a hint. I'll tell you what it was not. It was not sausage and bacon. They're still not eating pork in Jerusalem. I'll just tell you that much right now. Do you know what was on the buffet every morning? I'll tell you this much. It was looking at me. Laying on its side, one eye. Pickled fish. Pickled fish. First morning I went down, I said, uh, and they said pickled fish. Do you know what pickled fish tastes like? I don't either. It's early in the morning. I got a cup of coffee. That fish is looking at me with that one eye. And I'm like, I don't think so. Never tasted the pickled fish. But that's probably what the disciples had with the five loaves of bread. Some pickled or dried fish and that was it. That's all they had. You see what I'm trying to say is that what you have and what I have is probably different. You have gifts I don't have. I have gifts you don't have. But the only thing I can bring is what I have. You have abilities I'll never have. You have skills that you've developed I'll never develop. Some of you have resources I don't have. I have resources some of you say I don't have. But all you can bring is what you have. And when we bring it to Jesus, He takes it. And He blesses it. And He breaks it. And He gives it away. In ways that are so far beyond what we would have ever asked or imagined that we can't believe it. So I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a guy who attends our church. And in first service, he sits over to my right. And he says to me, I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I think it was maybe 40 years ago, 
we were living out west and the church we were tending was going to build a new building. We were all praying about what we should give to the new building. So a situation kind of like us here, we're talking about renewing this room and we're all praying about what we might give to help renew this room. And on November the 17th, we'll make commitments to that. And he said, I didn't have much. We were young, married. But we just got to the point that we had a second car. And it was really nice having that second car. It made the day easier. It made our schedule easier. It was just easier. Having two cars was finally good. We felt like we kind of breathed a little bit with the two cars. And as I began to pray about what I should give to the building, I felt like God began to ask me for that second car. And that was hard. I didn't want to give my second car. I loved having the second car. It just made life so much better for me and my wife and my kids. And However, I still felt like God was saying, would you give it to me? And so he said, finally, finally I said, Lord, I've got a bicycle. I guess I'm not that far from work. I guess I could ride a bicycle to work some days when the weather's good. So he said, finally, I just said, okay, okay, Lord. I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't understand it. They're needing so much money, and this car is not worth very much at all. You know? I mean, the need is so big, and my resources are this small. I can't even see how much of a difference this car could make to a need that's so big. But if you want, if you want my car, I'm going to give you my car. So he said, when I said yes to giving the car, I just felt the presence of the Lord. It was, it was awesome. It was like I said yes to God, and I knew I would never regret it. And so I told my pastor the story because I was so excited about what God was doing in my heart. And he says to me, I think you should tell the church. You want me to tell the church that I'm giving my second car? Yeah, I think you should tell the church. And so sure enough, he stands up in front of the whole church and he tells the story. And the pastor says to him a week later, you're not going to believe what's happened. But all week long, people have been coming into my office. And they're saying, if he can give his second car, then I can give this. And another person comes in and says, if he can give his second car, then I should be given this. And another person says, if he can give his, se- his second car, then, then I feel like God's wanting me to do this. And before I know it, What was a little gift that I gave, God turned into something huge. You see, what God does is He takes what little we bring, and then He makes it more than enough. Somehow in all of God's economy, He takes what little we bring, and He makes it more than enough. And I love the whole story about the 12 basketfuls left over, and does that mean something about God restoring the 12 tribes of Israel? Because I think it's more than just the 12 disciples having a doggy bag, you know what I mean, to go home with. But I think there's something kind of simple here. There's more than enough. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand it. Don't think about this vast amount of food. 12 basketfuls left over my goodness well that would only feed about probably 100 people and in light of 15,000 people that's not a lot that's like going to a family cookout and saying we had a pack of hot dogs left I think the point is it was still more than enough 
So God takes what little we bring to Him and He makes it more than enough. So why don't you stand with me, would you? And why don't we worship the Lord together? So I know that many, many, many of you are praying. And you're saying, Lord, I I don't know what I can bring to you. I, I, I don't know what you're asking me to bring. But, but you're, you're trying to understand what God's will is. I'm having conversations with many, many of you about it. My wife and I, we're having the same conversation. But here's what I'm beginning to understand. That Jesus can use whatever I will bring to Him. And do far more than I ever dreamed He would do. So let's commit these moments and these next few weeks to God as we pray about not only how He wants you to give, but how He wants you to serve. And what abilities that you have that He wants to use and what gifts that He's given you that He wants you to use and what God wants to do through your life. Because you're going to find yourself standing on the edge of a bluff right away. And you might feel like God is saying to you, I want you to jump. I want you to leap. I want you to take that step of faith. And I don't want you to live your whole life regretting that you didn't jump that day. So let's focus our hearts on Him together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org